Hello everybody and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading Rainbow Garden by Patricia Sanjan with permission of Moody Publishing Company. And we are reading Chapter 2, The Welcome. The next day flew by and my mother was kinder to me and took more notice of me than ever before. She spent a lot of time with me and took me out shopping and in the afternoon we had tea at a posh hotel and went to a Panama. It was really exciting, and in the daytime I almost forgot about Mrs. Moody, who sat faithfully in the kitchen, sorting and marking and letting down my clothes. Only at night, when Mummy left me with a hurried kiss and went out for the evening, did Mrs. Moody become important. It was not difficult those last nights to persuade her to come and sit by my bed in the dark and go on talking about the country. This was a good thing for it was only after dark that I began to feel that the world was really in a very unsafe place, and that in a very short time I would really belong to nobody. I would be shut up with six children, whether I liked them or not, and whether they liked me or not, and down at the bottom of my heart I knew that the children at school did not like me much, and I sometimes wondered why. Nobody ever told me that I was spoiled and vain and cared for no one but myself except Mrs. Moody when she was cross and I never took, had taken any notice of her. However, Mrs. Moody said that the countryside was such a lovely place to be. I felt a bit comforted by the thought of it. If I had, I had only been to the seaside in August for my holidays, and I had imagined that I was going to be taken away to a bright world of flowers where the sun shone every day. This was a nice idea, for the snow had melted in London streets and the pavements were thick with brown slush and the air was heavy with fog. Mrs. Moody remembered more and more as the week passed. She told me about the harvest and the hayfields and sheep dipping, and I, I would lie listening, clinging to her hand and feeling comforted. When at last the dreaded morning came and the taxi stood at the door to take me to Eustace Station, I realized with dismay that it was far worse saying goodbye to Mrs. Moody than to Mummy. When we turned the corner, I lost sight of her thin figure waving at the doorstop. I felt I had suddenly been cut off from everything that made life safe, and I burst into tears. My mother, who was in the taxi with me, was upset by my sobbing and begged me to be good and sensible. So, as usual, I dried my tears and kept my fears to myself. At Eustace, we went to the bookstall and bought some of my favorite comics and two big boxes of chocolates one for me to eat in the train, and one for the Owen children. This cheered me up, and when the whistle blew and the train steamed off, I was able to wave quite cheerfully. In fact, I was impatient to be off so that I could settle down to enjoy the journey and the chocolates. Mummy had asked the lady to keep an eye on me, but I was not a friendly sort of child, and since I took no notice of her, she soon gave up trying to take notice of me. I read my comics and munched my sandwich and chocolates. And now and then I went and stood in the corridor and looked out the window. What I saw filled me with dismay. But this country was nothing like Mrs. Moody's country. It was miles of wet, yellow fields, bare black hedges and trees, with the distance blotted out by mist. It looked cold, muddy, and lonely and miserable, and I soon got tired of it. I cuddled up in my corner and went fast asleep. If it hadn't been for the lady looking after me, I would have slept right through the stop where I was supposed to get out. She woke me just in time, and I tumbled out with my big case and stood waiting on the platform, still half asleep and very bewildered and cold. 
The train roared away immediately, and the first thing I noticed was the quietness. No traffic or footsteps, only the muffled sound of the sea on the other side of the station and the soft rattle of waves breaking on the pebbles. And when I sniffed, I found that the air smelled salty and clean. Just as I realized that the snow was the only a few yards away, I looked up and saw a woman hurrying towards me as fast as three little children clinging to her hands and coat could allow, and one was only a toddler. They had been waiting for me at the far end of the long platform, and I suppose that they were the Owens. I did not go forward to meet them, but stood quite still by my case. How do you do, Mrs. Owens, I remarked stiffly, trying to imitate my mother's voice when she greeted visitors she didn't like and I held out my small gloved hand. Mrs. Owen hesitated, surprised, and then there was just a moment, a second silence as we stared at each other in the dim light of that January afternoon. Then a look came into her face that I did not understand. She might have been going to laugh or cry. In any case, she ignored my hand and kissed me very gently on both cheeks. How nice you've come, Elaine, she said. We've been so excited, and Peter and Janet were so cross they couldn't get home in time from school to meet you. But Johnny, Francis, and Robin have come, and the others are waiting at home. Now come along, the taxi's just outside. Johnny and Francis and Robin seemed as doubtful of me as I was of them, and they had hidden behind their mother. I suppose they expected me to speak to them or kiss them, but I knew nothing about little children, and they were much younger than me anyway. In their woolly coats and their hats and overcoats and strong country shoes, they all looked as wide as they were tall. When we reached the taxi, they all tumbled into the back seat and started whispering to one another under a blanket. I sat in front with Mrs. Owens and just answered yes and no to her questions, feeling very shy and lonely. The landscape once we left town was the gloomiest I'd seen in all my life. It was a cold, drizzly evening and the trees were blotted out. I could see nothing but wet roads, yellow fields, black hedges, and not a soul in sight. Whatever did these people do all day? I stopped listening to Mrs. Owens and stared out the window. The little ones kept peeping out from under the blanket like rabbits and giggling and disappearing again. I think it was their way of trying to make friends, but I took no notice of them. There's our house, cried Johnny suddenly, poking me rather painfully in the back and pointing ahead, and I followed his finger, suddenly interested. We had been driving between trees, but now we were out in the open country again. There on the hillside beamed the uncurtained windows of a house that stood on its own. The windows looked warm and friendly and welcoming. I glanced timidly at Mrs. Owen and she smiled. Welcome to the visage, vicarage, Elaine, she said. Here we are, home, back home. As the taxi pulled up at the gate, the front door was flung open and two sturdy children and a big collie doll Tumbled, collie dog tumbled down the path, making a great noise. I hated noisy, rough children and shrank back into my corner. But they didn't seem to notice, to notice, for they were prancing excitedly around their mother. When at last I did climb out, the dog leaped up and put his paws on my shoulders and tried to lick my face. The children shrieked with delight, for this apparently is what they had taught him to do. But I thought he was going to bite me, and I screamed with terror. Mrs. Owens rescued me in a moment and calmed the commotion. He's just greeting you, Elaine, explained Jan Janet, and he can shake hands, too. Hold out your hand. He'll hold out his paw. He's a very polite dog, but I thought he was a horrible dog, and backed away, which surprised the children, for they could not imagine anyone being afraid of Caldwalder. 
I saw Janet and Peter glanced at each other in amused surprise as we somehow all made our way up the garden path and in the front door. It was clear I had made a bad beginning. You're sleeping with me, said Janet kindly, making another attempt at a welcome. I'll show you where and help you unpack. She led the way upstairs and Peter came behind, carrying my case. She flung open the door of the little bedroom with two beds side by side. I was not pleased, nor did I pretend to be. In London, I had a bedroom to myself with a fireplace and a thick carpet on the floor and my own little oak bookcase and armchair and a tiny a toy box. This seemed to be cold, shabby little room, and I did not notice all the tokens of welcome around that the children had prepared so carefully. The flower on the chest of drawers, Francis' favorite teddy sitting on my bed, and Peter's favorite picture stuck on the wall above my pillow, and the little moss garden arranged in a tin lid on my, gar- on my chair. Janet watched me eagerly, but I gave no sign of pleasure, and after a moment the expectant look died from her face. She shyly pointed my, out my bed and drawers and said she'd better go and help her mummy get supper. I felt she was glad to leave me, and I was glad to be left. I looked distastefully around at the rather shabby bedside mats and faded curtains and bedspreads, and then I noticed two sticky boiled sweets and a faded spring of winter jasmine jasmine lying on my pillow. I flung them angrily into the waste paper basket. Mummy and Mrs. Moody would have never allowed rubbish to be left on a visitor's pillow, pillows, and I didn't see why Mrs. Owens should either. I opened my case and began hanging up my dress in the closet that I was to share with Janet. I was pleased to see that my clothes were much nicer than hers, and I laid out my new nightie in full view on the bed. Perhaps I could show her a thing or two, even if I was frightened of dogs. But I, just as I was arranging the frills on my nightdress, Mrs. Owens came in and sat down with the youngest member of the family on her lap, a round, baby, bouncing baby of ten months with big blue eyes. This is baby Lucy, said Mrs. Owens, and I hope you like babies because I'm counting on your help. Six children is a lot, and you'll be my eldest girl. You're eleven, aren't you? Yes, I answered, staring at baby Lucy. It had not occurred to me that I would be expected to help. At home, Mrs. Moody did all the work, and I amused myself or watched TV or read books. I was not sure if I liked the idea or not. Helping with a baby might be fun. In any case, I could try. If I didn't like it, I wouldn't do it, for I intended to be happy in my own way. And to me, happiness meant having what I wanted, and doing what I liked. I followed Mrs. Owens down to supper. After watching her tuck baby Lucy in her cot, and I was relieved to see that a large potato pie was being carried in by a rosy-cheeked girl named Blodwin. I was afraid they had no maid, and that might be expected to wash up her dust, which I would not have liked at all and had no intention of doing. When the meal was ready, Mr. Owen appeared from his study. He was a tall, round-shouldered man with a tired face and kind blue eyes. He picked up Robin, who had flung his arms around his father's knees and nearly sent him flying, and greeted me very warmly. He said, Grace, and we sat down to a noisy meal. For Janet and Peter had not seen him since breakfast, and there were a lot of news to share. Johnny and Francis seemed to have done a great deal since dinner time and were bursting with news. Dad! began Peter, who had only gone back to school that day. I'm sitting next to Gwen Evans in class, and he said he'd, he'd swap me two rabbits for some stamps and a catapult. Can I, Dad? Dad 
broke in at Janet, not waiting for a reply. I might be in a under-12 net team. Do you think we could put up a post in the garden so I could, pra- could practice shooting? Can I, Dad, said Peter. Daddy, Daddy, squeaked Johnny, suddenly remembering and going rigid with excitement. We stood at the bridge where the train went underneath and all the smoke came up and around us. Good I, Daddy, persisted Janet. There are two baby lambs in the field. I heard them cry, said Francis in a whisper that reached her father's ears above all the noise. She smiled broadly at him, confident that her bit of news was perhaps the most exciting of all, and he smiled back at her. Can I, Dad, said Peter again. He was a very persevering boy, and I discovered, as I discovered later. Could I, Daddy, said Janet at the same moment. Why, yes, I think so, answered Mr. Owens peacefully. There's an old post in the garden. Jan, we could fix it up with some wire, and I'll see if I can find a box and some netting for your rabbits, Peter. How about you, Elaine? Do you play netball? I used, I used to, sometimes at school, I mumbled, wishing they would leave me alone. I felt terribly shy with all these happy, confident children, and I wish Jan, Janet wasn't so keen about netball. I never liked games much, and I'd sat at the home on the holidays and gone to shop, shops with my mother, but I'd never learned to run about and jump and play. I didn't like the potato pie either. It was too thick, and I wanted to go home. My eyes filled with tears that might have fallen, but I suddenly realized that Frances was looking at me in a secret kind of way, her homely little face alight with excitement. Did you see them? She whispered. She suddenly whispered across the table while Peter and Janet had a loud discussion about what kind of rabbits they wanted. What? I whispered back shyly. Them. My surprise. She answered softly, her eyes shining. What I put on your pillow? Did you see? I suddenly remembered the sticky sweets and the withered twig. I had thought them rubbish, but now they suddenly seemed precious. They showed that one, at least, of this rowdy gang had cared about my coming. Yes, I did, I answered. I did. Thank you, Francis. And then suddenly, it suddenly became quiet, and I noticed that Johnny had laid a Bible in front of Mr. Owen. He was about to read, and a strange sort of calm seemed to settle over these restless, eager children. I'd always thought the Bible was a very dull book, but tonight everyone appeared to be listening, even little Francis. I did not attempt to listen, for I was certain I couldn't understand. Extend it if I tried. It was something about a vine and some branches, but only the last verse caught my attention. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be full. I thought about those words, for I liked the sound of them. Then everybody shut their eyes and bowed their heads to pray. Then I understood, for Mrs. Moody sometimes made me say the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in Heaven. But in a moment I realized that this was different, for Mr. Owen seemed to be speaking to someone who was really there, and we all seemed to be in a place of safety. Mummy far away in London, the children around the table, babies asleep upstairs, we were all brought near to someone who cared for us. An hour later, when Mrs. Owens had kissed us goodnight and Janet had fallen asleep beside me, I lay awake, staring out the window at the starry sky that looked so wide without any roofs or spirals massed against it. I felt quite bewildered by all that had happened, and it seemed ages since the taxi had turned the corner, hiding Mrs. Moody from view. Once again, my eyes were filled with tears of loneliness, and I wanted to go home. And yet, there were those strange words that seemed to comfort me a little. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be full. What things I wondered. I wished that I had listened.
tomorrow we'll be reading chapter 3, The Other Side of the Midst. I love you, I'm praying for you, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.